If you're a fan of the only podcast for Star Trek fans with a life, then you'll love seeing your favorite Inglorious Trexperts hosts live at WonderCon. Join us for a very special guest as we celebrate the 30th anniversary of Star Trek V as we record a live episode of Inglorious Trexperts. You heard right, Star Trek V. We all hide a secret pain. See you there. Black alert! If you're a fan of Disco Nights and Star Trek Discovery, don't miss Disco Nights Live this March at WonderCon with host Chase Masterson and special guests recording a live episode of the Ultimate Discovery Podcast. If you're a Discovery fan, you don't want to miss this live event at WonderCon with Chase and her special guests, Disco Nights Live at WonderCon. Bring your disco shoes. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a fan of Inglorious Trexperts, I hope you'll come see me at Emerald City Comic Con on Thursday, March 14th, as I discuss 50 years of Star Trek with some incredible stories, rare photography, and more. Join me as I boldly go. That's a bad pun. Tickets are available through the ECC website and at Read Pop. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Docterman, and we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And I am really happy to talk about a subject near and dear to my heart today, the long and torturous history of Star Trek on home video. Home video? What's that? Hey, do you guys have any Star Trek V tapes left? Where is the Star Trek V video? You got Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Please. Any Star Trek Vs? Ooh, thank you. Great. Thanks. Fabulous. Yes. Oh, thank goodness. Would you happen to have Star Trek V? Yes, sir. Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, to talk about it, we have uh, two great guests. Um, Once again, uh, we're uh, back with, uh, you know, our Charles Nelson Riley, as we've talked about. uh, (laughs) 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 I prefer to think of him as our fanny flag. Center square, please. (laughs) Yeah, Paul Lynn. Come on. People keep <laughs> conflating the match game with uh, Hollywood Squares. Two totally How different dare things. They? Um, Robert Meyer Burnett is back. Robert Meyer Burnett. It's great to be here. Great to be here. And home video is also a subject near and dear to my own heart. I have a note here. Do not forget to introduce Rob because I unfortunately <laughs> I did, there have been a couple episodes where you know I'm so used to you know like hanging out with Rob that I, I feel like you know of course of course Rob's here. Why, why would we not mention Rob? So anyway, he, Rob Burnett is back. And, you know, we, we so enjoyed having you on the show. There's probably nobody more knowledgeable and more entertaining to listen to on the subject of uh, Star Trek. And uh, a, a, apropos of our uh, focus on home video, we have one of the true uh, uh, experts in the, in the field. Um, he has done a, a wonderful, wonderful a website devoted to uh, home video. It was originally Laserdisc.com. No, it was never Laserdisc.com. <laughs> it was it, it basically uh, 20 years, I think, now? 20 years. 20 yeah, years. Started uh, with DVD. The digitalbits.com. It's webmaster, editor, publisher, um, uh, uh, Grand Poopah. Um, <laughs> Mr., uh, uh, Mr. Bill Hunt is here. I am very happy to be here. It's good to see you guys. And I can now add to your bio novelist as you've just completed your first novel. I did. I did. I'm very excited about it. Hard science fiction. It's going to be, it's good. Just, uh, it's just, very good. If, just finishing the process of editing and getting ready to start shopping it around. And nice. If you have any interest, not in buying a book, in any interest in physical media, 
and you are not familiar with the Digital Bits, walk, don't run to your nearest phone or computer and, and check out digitalbits.com. It's just a phenomenal uh, website about all things home, home video. And, and Bill has had his finger on the pulse of that industry the dying pulse now of that industry <laughs> yeah, yeah. for a long time and 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 you know not only does he uh convey news but insight and observations uh, about the uh, the industry and uh developments going on there so you should definitely check out digital bits uh and uh as people know i don't recommend things i don't actually like so uh that is a high uh, high praise um but yeah we're here to talk about home video um it's such an interesting and specifically Star Trek. Well, specifically video. Star right. Trek Home Video, which I guess you could say began with the Viewmaster. That's that's true. <laughs> that's true. That is true. Well, the arc of the arc of Home Video and the arc of Star Trek on Home Video they they match very very well because Star Trek was one of the earliest pieces of entertainment to be put on home video. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the first the first uh, release of Star Trek on VHS we were talking about it was, is like early 1980. Yeah. Right. And it was just a, it was a mail order thing. There was like right. two episode ten cassettes. There was two episodes per cassette. The CBS Video Club. The CBS Video Club. That's exactly right. And that was now was that when CBS and Fox were still CBS Fox Home yes. Video. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. Although it was it was right before they became CBS Fox. Right. Yes. I want right. I want to just take a, a step back just to 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 you know again we we sometimes get ahead of our audience in terms of our you know things we assume you know you know Star Trek the only way you could experience it as as we often did as kids was. Um, you know, you'd watch it in syndication, and we we talk of many episodes about how we would take an uh, audio cassette right. and record the sound because that was the only way to relive Star Trek, <laughs> unless you had the photo novels, right? Which were these glorious books, which were uh, frame grabs or, or cell images yeah. done in a comic book format um, for what was it, twelve episodes or 12, yeah. 12, 12 episodes of uh, original series episodes, and that was the way. If 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 your favorite episode wasn't on. Uh, that you could relive uh, uh, Star Trek. Right. And uh, for many years, that was the only way. Although I would go to um, the creation conventions, and I remember they had this beat-up 16-millimeter print of Day of the Dove. Right. That's all yeah. they ever showed. Like, you go to the, <laughs> the, the the film room and, you know, come check out original Star Trek. And it was always Day of the Dove. I yeah. think that was the and one was print always they really had. magenta. Now, <laughs> was, I'm curious, because I don't know the answer to this. Was was Were any Star Trek episodes ever released on, like, remember how they used to do Super 8 films? Mm-hmm. Of you could buy certain things. Were, were there ever Star there Trek? There were not episodes, but I can tell you, because my good friend Steven Simak, he had a Super 8 projector, and he had to, I used to go over there, and I would watch... Uh, Battlestar Galactica and the 20 minute version of Star Wars which was wildly entertaining um, <laughs> but there was also a really great 20 minute version of Star Trek the motion picture that I had know. that wow and wow. Uh, we, I would go over there and we'd set up the screen and the projector and get the popcorn and watch all 20 minutes of Star- <laughs> and some people would probably prefer that version but uh, well it's only one shot of V'ger, uh, you know, <laughs> flying over V'ger. But this was the way you would watch films. Now, like people who are in the industry or people who had a lot of money would actually get prints, prints, and and mm-hmm. and watch them in a screening room. If you were kids in high school, like we were, you would, you know, and it was quite a business. Junior high, a junior you could high, sometimes yeah. get yeah. sixteen millimeter prints for your school. Yes, right, yes, yes, yes. right. You could get sixteen millimeter, but generally, so my friend Stephen would have these uh, super eights. They usually would be uh, one two hundred foot or four hundred mm-hmm. foot, four hundred, uh, four hundred, and then it would either be one or two, uh, and you'd have to do a real change, right? Catch the cigarette <laughs> burns, <laughs> uh, but. Um, 
and you'd watch it on Super 8. And that was how we experienced those movies. And again, it was I remember it was Star Wars, Empire, and, you know, it was great. It was like all the boring parts cut out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and... Thanks to Mr. Sparks, come timely arrival. We've been able to establish more time. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 uh, and so, you know, uh, uh, that was my first experience. My, my, my first experience actually seeing the Betamax version uh, I talked about it, I think, on our first episode. I was um, at Willoughby's, which was a store next to Macy's on 34th and Herald Square That's in New York. That's the next stop. Uh, next <laughs> stop, yeah. And, and I remember looking nice. at this new thing called the Betamax, where you could play movies uh, at home, complete movies. And in this glass case was uh, this $129 yeah. uh, tape for Star Trek The Motion Picture. And I'm like... I have to, I have to have this now. I didn't have it because my parents weren't buying me a, a Betamax and a hundred dollar movie, but I was like, you know, oh my like, god, it changed everything. You say, oh, it changed everything. It's like you're going to be able to watch movies at home. Star Trek, this is incredible. I had that tape. I got it the day it came out for my my bar mitzvah, 1980. <laughs> my grandfather. Uh, had a furniture store, Schoenfeld's Furniture in Tacoma, and it was what he had. A, it was ten stories, and so he, one story was electronics. And for my bar mitzvah, all I wanted was a VCR. My rich friend Jimmy Fiddler had one. They had a bootleg tape of Star Wars. I had to have one. I didn't know anyone who had one, so we were the first people that had a VCR on our block. And back then, there were no. There was very few movies out. Paramount Home Video, I don't think, had had much out at all yet. This is May of 1980, and it was – you'd walk into these stores and these movies, like you just said, each one was like the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, yeah. sure. You were like hold six, on to it. six movies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember the day that MCA Home Video, we got a box in it, and there was like Earthquake and Smokey and the Bandit. I'd seen these movies on Laserdisc in 78, yeah. but they hadn't come out on tape yet. Yeah. And it was – but they had come out on Selectivision. Yeah, people hadn't. Uh, uh, they didn't understand. It didn't exist. Right, right. Well, I think a lot of people when they when they got their access to their first VHS or Betamax recording machine and had blank tape, rather than buying pre-recorded stuff, you were recording mm-hmm. stuff off air. Oh, right? sure. So when Star Trek was syndicated, like I had a whole collection of like Betamax yeah. episodes, right? And uh, those tapes were thirty bucks a pop. Yeah. Oh, I know. It was so expensive, and, and and it was like I remember. I think I probably had Star Trek: The Motion Picture off air before I had the. It was on the ABC Sunday Night Movie, and it yeah. had expanded edition, right. and, and I had like a pause, like it was a wired pause button. <laughs> right. Yeah. So like yeah. literally, the, the, there would be the act out before the and pause, and they would come out <laughs> pause, and it was like so. I had this seamless very, and then they did the. Uh, I'm sure you, know, you t- like me got really good at anticipating when the commercials. Oh, totally. Were yeah. It was like yeah. seamless, yeah. and it was like the same thing. It was like you know to be continued. And it was, I remember the, the thing I was proudest of in my life was on Superman. It was like they cut in the middle of the helicopter rescue. I remember to this day. It was like, dun, 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 you know, and he stops, right? And then it's like the continuation of him rescuing Lois. I got that edit. So perfect. It was like, see, you couldn't tell it was two different nights. You know, it was like, Superman flying. Dun, dun, you know? I, I, wouldn't, I got a paper route. Only to buy blank video cassettes <laughs> because my parents wouldn't give them to me. And on my birthday and for the holidays, I would get a box of ten. And they that were like, cheap. They blank were not tapes cheap. were not. They cheap were not at cheap. All. Like TDK, I had TDKs TDK, or Maxells. Yep, yep, you yep. know, if, you, if my parents would give me Ampex videotape, I'm like, oh no, you got to. Oh no, you got to get the Chrome right. Oxide. Right. Yeah, I, I need. You got to get the metallic. Right. And did you do it on six hour or two hour mode? 
Well, it depended. Like when I was taping B movies off Showtime, it would be six hours because I would get three on a tape. <laughs> right, yeah. But Star Trek, two it would hours. be two hours. Yep. You know, and, and quality. But yeah. then you know, my parents are, they didn't understand. NTSC analog, baby. But uh, that is, it's so funny. But yeah, I got a job at a video store because I would get a discount on buying blank tape. Yeah. You know, and it was like, so because I was taping so much, like you said, the original Star Trek episodes, mm-hmm. all stuff. And then once I got cable, it was like every movie as though they would never be available again. Right. You right. Know? But that you didn't know. Yeah. Because it was new. And James Bond movies on the ABC oh, Sunday sure. movie. Yeah. Well, and the, fun- the funny thing is at that time, I see, I grew up in rural North Dakota, so- there was we had three channels plus you know when cable came around then there was like Cinemax and stuff like that but we had three channels and three networks maybe PBS if we got it in that day and maybe the CBC if we got it in with the rabbit ears that day <laughs> and we had no I had no there was one or two movie theaters in town so like there was no art house cinema there was no so the first the way I saw a lot of movies early on was the was like Cinemax or HBO mm-hmm. right you know full frame and 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 oh, the glories of one three three. Yeah, yeah, and that was it. That was the window on the world for a long time. Yeah, but you know what? It made us the people we are today. I mean, just obsessed with movies and television. And I mean, we worked harder for content back right. then. Well, right? we, yeah, we yeah. it was a it was a job. Like if you had to get things on TV, you, do you remember scouring the TV guide? The TV sure. guide would come out on a Wednesday. My mom would bring it home in the grocery bag, <laughs> and I would go late night and see which movies I would and record you'd circle off. You circle off the thing, and I was. <laughs> and my mom just thought it was so weird that I'm religiously. I'm like, did you get the TV guide? Like it was like a drug addict getting the Sunday night fusion. movie. You got to find out what the Sunday God, night movie. I haven't gonna thought be. about that. In- 30 years but god that feeling of like getting your mom would come home with the groceries yeah. and then you take the TV guide it's like kind of a TV guide thanks mom and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you'd sit there and start figuring out what yeah. you were going to tape that well, people, yeah. people now don't really realize but at the time they used to run like Wizard of Oz and Star Wars they'd run once like a once year. a year mm-hmm. Yeah. so if you wanted to see them man that was it and it was and everybody like had to come home and watch that yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. and if you didn't have a blank tape and I was short 20 bucks my parents weren't going to give me an extra 20 bucks to buy a blank tape I mean I I you had to make some hard decisions. Yeah, you had to, yeah, it was like, what am I going to tape over? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I forgot. Well, what can I? What can I sacrifice? Star Trek Three. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that, the funny thing is, is that also when Star Trek: The Motion Picture came out, mm-hmm. when and it was the ABC that TV yes. version that was eighty three that came right. out. The network. And it was it cost a hundred bucks. Yeah, it was before there was sell through sell through tapes. Yeah, and uh, that was a lot of money. Was, and yeah. you know, Still as a kid. Is. It still is, but you're like that was that was a problem. You know how many papers I had to deliver to buy that yeah. tape. What well, I would do is pa- sometimes well, if you would go to your local rental grit, store, Grit Magazine, Grit News, <laughs> <laughs> they would have because obviously they would buy the copy rental copies so they could you know right. rent out to people. But then when those copies got worn out, right, or slightly they, they worn they out, they would them. sell them yeah. for less money. So you could maybe for forty bucks. You could I didn't get... find it was much as being worn out as like they would buy a ton when it was a new release, and right. then as demand started to wane, yeah, they wanted they, to get as much money they, as they, they could would then from sell the used, recoup their. Lost, the used basically. copies yeah. and, and 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 stuff, but that all changed dramatically in 1983 when Paramount released Star Trek II and Officer and Gentleman at popular prices, mm-hmm. 39.95. Uh, 39.95. And I remember the day that went on sale, the March, I, and I went to a couple of video stores that didn't have it, and I, I, you know, I had to go, you know, I was calling around. I finally found a place that had it, and man, I took, you know, I just walked like further than I was like the fucking baton death march, uh, you know, trying to get to uh, this video store like on the other side of town to to um, 
you know, get Star Trek Two, and I was like, "You still have it? You you held it for me? You know, like I called and told him to put it on hold, <laughs> and 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 I got Star Trek Two. I did not get Officer and Gentleman. I have to admit. But what's amazing about that time is that they picked Star Trek Two to sort of lead the charge of creating the sell through market. I mean, yeah. it was Officer and Gentleman was a big hit that year. Both of those were eighty two movies, but home video people were not buying pre recorded cassettes. Well right. and you also have to remember that this is a time where the industry was fighting this. Yeah. Like the right. MPAA was aggressively fighting the idea yep. that of, of of being able to buy a blank cassette and record. They hated right. it. They were dead set against the home, the whole home video industry. They were absolutely against it. It was a rental only business, right? Where you would go to video stores and you, you like a library, and you pay. Except you pay for three days or a week, and then you'd have to return it. Uh, you know, they would just actively discourage you from buying. Uh, that's why everything was a hundred, you know, and it was great because yeah. they had all these video chains that were buying everything at ridiculous price. You and know? it was a big business. That was so big money. Even huge. even now. The more things change, the more they stay the same because they want to keep that rental system right? completely well, and they is, want to go on yeah. hurting us. <laughs> this, is, this is getting ahead of ourselves a little bit because we haven't bit. even gotten to DVD yet, but that's what DivX was all about. Yeah. And the irony is we're back to DivX now, that's right? Correct. But, but yeah, let, let, let's I mean, let's talk a little bit about you know how that changed. So this is the first Star Trek to get released, Star Trek Two, and it was something that allowed somebody to watch at home as much as they wanted to, right. which I think in a way cemented Star Trek II as like this seminal Star Trek film because so many people just know it so well. Right, because it was cheap. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then, then they started to release in more ways a lot than of things. One. In like 92, they, they finally released, uh, they released a director's edition of, of Star Trek IV. Right. Uh, w- but it was in widescreen, which was a big deal at the time, and Leonard Nimoy actually recorded an introduction to the film explaining why widescreen was important. Those bars on the top and bottom are normal. <laughs> Don't adjust your set. It's okay. But right. this was after, because the first time I remember widescreen being done was on the Laserdisc, and it may have been done on the VHS for Manhattan. That's very mm-hmm. that's yeah. Woody, true. Woody Allen insisted on it being letterboxed, uh, and, and, uh, that was, but it was a gray letterbox. But yeah, the bars letterbox. were not black. They yeah. were gray. And uh, that was the first time I ever saw a letterbox. Well, you're absolutely true. And the you second know, was the color purple. That's right. Oh, really? Yep. I didn't the first purple. time I remember seeing letterbox and I didn't know what it was, was actually on the 430 movie. Oh, really? Because they would letterbox the opening titles. Mm. Interesting. And, so they didn't have but to they squeeze would, them or so cut stuff off. So they didn't have off. to squeeze yeah, them or yeah, cut yeah. stuff off. So, But they filled it in with like patterns. Uh, you know, like decorative painting patterns or something, <laughs> right, because right. they thought that black on the screen would make people think their TV was broken. And you know what? They were right, because lots of people probably lots, complained lots about that. Lots of stupid people complained. Yeah. Absolutely. For years they did. Absolutely. Why am I? It's like I'm losing picture on the top through, and bottom. Through because the 90s, You're actually people getting complained. lots more. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Because now everyone has widescreen TVs with, you know, 185. But at the time... You know, most we all had you know uh, one, three, standard three. one yeah. three three, mm-hmm. and so letterboxing was such a marvelous thing to see the correct aspect ratio. But you were getting all kinds of letters. Stu's getting all kinds of like, why are they you know yeah. cutting off yeah. my picture and doing and I, all this? I had to go on the bits and do a whole primer explaining to people what you don't understand is movies come in all different shapes. They it's they don't all come in that square shape, and they did for a long time. But then in the forties and fifties, to differentiate from TV That's as TV correct. came on board. They started to do more wi- much wider and like Technicolor and all these things to try to differentiate from TV. But then when you take that film to put it on TV, you're only seeing a tiny little square of it that's yeah. going like this back and forth across the film. And all of the Star Trek feature films, all of them were 
uh, widescreen. Right. They were all 235. They weren't all shot in Panavision. I don't think Star Trek VI was shot in Panavision. No. But the the they were all widescreen and, and letterboxing, the only way to see them. In 1986, I was working at a video store, and there was a Japanese company called Pony. It still exists. Yeah, yeah. And they put out five MGM movies letterbox. They put out Clash of the Titans and Time After Time, which both were not widescreen movies, but they were letterbox. And they put out The Hunger, 2001 and 2010. And then soon after, all three Star Wars movies were letterboxed. And these yeah. were... The most sought after. I ordered them. The Star Wars movies were 150 bucks on oh, yeah. an 86 letterbox on disc, and that very much turbocharged the home video industry when people mm-hmm. were starting to chase Star Wars and other things like that. But but Star Trek was always was always a, a huge property that everybody everybody wanted, and it was I mean it was kind of a killer app that people wanted on home video, and it took. I mean they started to release them on VHS in '85. Well, didn't they release the Cage first? Like what the, the half and they, half? They, they came out yeah. the half, which was the yeah. black and white color version with the Roddenberry introduction mm-hmm. and and that beautiful box art. So far, so good. Except that TV in those days was at the peak of its love affair with the Western story. I wanted to sell my series, so I had promised the network that my Star Trek idea would be little more than a space western, a wagon train to the stars, zap guns instead of six shooters, spaceships instead of horses. But as I began writing that pilot, I suddenly realized that here was a chance to do the kind of drama I'd always dreamed of doing. I had seen science fiction movies before, but I'd always thought to myself, not enough characterization, not enough motivation. Perhaps I could use this as an excuse to go to those far-off planets with little polka-dotted people if necessary and be able to talk about love, war, nature, God, sex, all those things that go to make up the excitement of the human condition. And maybe the TV censors would let it pass because it all seems so make-believe. Yeah, that art um, was great. Oh, by the way, that art with, that, with the Enterprise the and Kirk, that, that poster. I, my wife gave me that. That was the I, first gift she ever gave me. Was that poster she found at a bookstore in St. Paul, Minnesota, had been signed by Gene Roddenberry. Nice. When she gave me that, just out of the blue, I was like. I'm going to marry this girl. I'm making her mine. I'm going home with this girl. But, like, if I remember, that was the first episode that came out, and it was a big deal because I, I had seen Ron Bray uh, like pre- presented at the Museum of Broadcasting, so. or the, now the Paley Center for Media, yeah. um, where he'd shown that. And this was the half color, half black and white right. version. Right. And it was a big deal. And a then, big deal. And what did Gene? Gene introduces it at the beginning. Uh, these are sets from some of the Star Trek movies, and we're going to show you one of the original uh, television movies that we made. Uh, this is the cage. Some parts are in color, others are in black and white. So, just remember this when you're watching. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. And the funny thing was that whole release, when they released the series that way, they didn't release them all at once. No, no. they released like ten, yeah. and then you had to wait another year, and then yep. they put another ten out, and then yeah. and and it took three, four years for the. The whole, the whole series show to, to, come, to come, out. come out, yeah. And then by then, I think they had found the uh, color on the. On they the found cage. the color. They found the uh, the elements. Yeah, so they, and they reissued it in all color. Yeah, the oh. one of the one of the you know wonderful instances of double dipping. Yeah, that they would. By the way, this do is a total yeah. aside, Robert. Years but after you mentioned Pony and the hunger, I think my favorite story on the history of this podcast is when you told the Catherine Deneuve story uh, getting getting her at autograph the at the at the mall at the perfume counter at Nordstrom you know and how you brought uh, umbrellas of Sherberg and um, and and the hunger for her to sign on laserdisc yeah. I, I I just love that story I listened to that episode many times you know, I love that story so much uh, you just from I don't know why by you saying that it popped into my head that space seed 
was released also in a single disc, yes. ver, single tape version mm-hmm. before they started releasing because all Star of the Trek tapes. Come out. Was it, was it a release with Star Trek Two? Yeah, I think, I think so. it was. Yeah, I think See the right. episode that inspired the right. hit movie. Yeah, and they yeah. just and they hadn't thought about putting. And I remember thinking to myself, why don't they release all yeah. of the Star Trek episodes on VHS? Because you could get them through the club, but not. Right. They had the standardized packaging because they had it. They had an exclusive deal and, with the CBS video. And club. you know what was interesting about that too was the fact that we had all watched these shows in syndication, that which were, were cut. cut. Mm-hmm. So when it came out on video, this is like the first time we were seeing these scenes we'd never seen. Yeah, before. there were yeah. scenes, and you'd be like, "Wait, what?" Because yeah. we'd all seen those episodes or listened to our audio because that's a hundred times. Yeah, and then to see these these. Unti- uh, the, the um, real unless version. we right. started recording them fairly early before they started doing the cuts. Oh, yeah, once wow, it got into no. syndication, they really trimmed. Okay, a lot. well, you know what I, I did? We had relatives in Los Angeles because uh-huh. I was you know living in New York in Brooklyn, and so we had them tape. Uh, there was a marathon. I remember there was a Star Trek marathon. We had them tape the Star Trek marathon in L.A. and send us the tapes. And that's funny. The wow. the scene it was cut differently. So right. I saw all these scenes I had never seen before. Oh. I think that was the first time I saw in Tribbles the dressing down that Kirk gives to Scotty in the transporter room because that was always cut mm-hmm. uh, in New York. Right. And uh, so it was like it was so cool to see all these scenes I'd never seen. And before. by the way, it was the local TV stations that were doing the cut. That's correct. Because right? they wanted yeah, to put yeah. more commercials. That's in. correct. Yeah. 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 When Star Trek the motion or Star Trek, pardon me, Star Trek the Next Generation debuted, it was syndicated. Right. So it, it aired at different times and different parts of the country and i was living in seattle i was in college and in washington state it aired three days later than it aired in california so for the debut i was in college i said i'm getting a tape my friend taylor white taped star trek the next generation the encountered farpoint fedex me the tape and at my college at the evergreen state college i daisy chained a bunch of tv sets to one vcr in the in the bottom of a dorm, and I just played the tape, and people came down for like two days, and just played it, and rewound it, and played it, and rewound twenty four hours a day. Yeah. A friend of mine had one of those big satellite dishes. Oh, nice! And they would get the episodes a day before because, because they would catch oh. it over the syndication feed. Oh, yeah, nice. and they would record it, and then we would see it, you know, maybe a couple hours earlier than everybody else, but. It's so strange how far things have come. Oh, yeah. That how archaic everything was. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and how terrible everything looked. Yeah. Yeah. And how terrible it looked. It's true. And and so here's the thing. So then we have all the original episodes being released on VHS. So now you have Star Trek 2 and 3 and Star Trek 1 on, mm-hmm. on tape. You have – and maybe 4 by then. Right. Um, and then by you the have way, it was all ni- the episodes. 1990 was when the last episodes of Star Trek, the original series, yeah. right. finally made it out to right. VHS. That's like – it's not That's that long, long ago. No. And no. also, it I guess it is. is. <laughs> when Star Trek Four came out on VHS, right. they had a promo of Next for Generation, Next Generation yes, right. on yeah, the right. tape. That's right. Jordy, a man yeah. with unique vision. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Well, it's like, yeah, because Paramount used to do that all the time because we talked about how on Raiders they had the preview of Indiana Jones That's and Temple of Doom yes, now shooting did. around the world. Yeah, uh, You, know, you uh, know, because that makes part of the release deductible for advertising. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. It's all business stuff. Well, the interesting thing is then when DVD happened, which was in 97 or so, the first Star Trek on DVD, they started releasing the Bare Bones films in 1999, mm-hmm. right, right. right? So that was so again, they were sort of wading back in, and they were, I believe, okay. they were non anamorphic wide. But you're you're and, skipping, you're skipping because, as we can attest to, they were all released on laserdisc, and, that's and right. one of my favorite 
box that set. Big set, box. Was that big box? I, I remember. I can tell you where I bought it. I got it at the warehouse. It was called the right. warehouse, you which mean was for a the 25th anniversary. For the 25th yeah. anniversary, yeah. It, it, I still have it. That. Was, Me so too. do I. <laughs> and I got it at the warehouse on Sunset Boulevard yeah. because again, I could like the day it came out. I was like, yeah. I yeah. find it multiple places, but not a lot of places. With the carried. ugly magenta folder, and inside. it had the right. Enterprise on the cover, and it yeah. had all six films. Yes, yeah, right. And then I remember, had we already bought Star Trek Six or Star Trek Six? Then the director's no, it was, cut it came actually out. Actually, had five films. Oh, it had five, yeah, right? And right. then six, and came, six out came out later. Six came out simultaneously right. later. Okay. Yeah. And that was this great box set, which wasn't great, other than the fact that we remember it being great because it really didn't have anything all that awesome. Um, it, w- it wasn't. Was it widescreen? Yes, it, it was. was widescreen. Oh, yeah, it said widescreen yeah. on the box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> Pioneer put out all the Paramount stuff. Right. right. And they had started putting out widescreen. Letterboxd and Criterion finally yeah. put out the legendary Blade Runner yeah, widescreen disc. I still have that, yeah. And, and things started to change. Mm-hmm. And the Laserdisc market really embraced They were in the forefront. Mm-hmm. films, yeah. But, and the interesting thing, that was a time when so the studios themselves weren't that interested in Laserdiscs, so they would license everything out because to Criterion niche, and right? Image, yeah, right? Yeah, Because, yeah. you know, there were only ever, in the United States, there were only ever a couple of million people with Laserdisc players in, right. in the whole country. But they, Paramount did a great job because they... Their discs, like they put a Humph around October in widescreen, yeah. and they really embraced it's it. It's funny. This is this is like the early, very early 90s. I visited my friend, uh, Buzz Hayes, who used to run the theater alignment program at Lucasfilm. And I visited him up at the ranch in Northern California. And he showed me experiments that they were doing with video projection. And he showed me the first, as far as I can remember... The first anamorphic video oh. of a a slightly letterboxed video widescreen image squashed to fit in one three three, but put on a regular projector with an anamorphic lens in front of it mm. to give you the full resolution of the you know yeah. NTSC signal, but also give you widescreen. And I went, oh my god, this is amazing because yeah. it was at the time it was yeah. the best thing yeah. I'd ever seen. Laser discs were never anamorphic. Obviously. They were never they were still, anamorphic. It was still a one three three image reduced yeah. with letterbox. But the irony is, is that that exact idea is what was one of the great early selling points of, of DVD. DVD except that most of the studios didn't, didn't embrace it, it at first. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. there was a lot of pain. I mean, I. Wasted, put a lot of sweat equity into mm-hmm. going around and convincing all of the studios, you got to do this, and this is why. Because five, six years from now, people are going to start buying widescreen That's TVs, correct. and they're going to wonder, why in the heck do I want to have the full mm-hmm. resolution? And then it, then it became obvious. But it was, I mean, it was an effort to convince them. It was uh-huh. a real effort. You know, I have to give Paramount credit in those early days, because they were the ones who did, you know, they put out the TV cut of Star Trek The Motion Picture, which at the time was, you know, awesome to have, mm-hmm. you know, because there's some great scenes in it, which you later worked into the, or in the director's edition. But then even Star Trek Two having, like, the director's edition, which, you know, look, when I talked to Nick Meyer, he said, it wasn't really a director's cut because I never wanted it in the first, you right. know, it was not a big deal. Like, I, it was fine that they wanted to put it in, yeah. but I don't really consider it a director's it cut. It was the director's non-complaint cut. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, he, so, so he says, it's not like really, like, I'm dying to put this stuff back or that, you know, it was just like they wanted another marketing aspect. And I was like, fine, put the Peter Preston stuff back in. Right, right. Um, you know, so, and then, you know, in Star Trek Six too, you had that stuff drop. So it was nice that they Klingon were releasing blood. versions that you hadn't seen uh, theatrically. You know, and look, I'm a big advocate of, like, when you make that stuff available, make both versions available. Now that's a lot easier on disc than it was, you know, back on VHS or even Laserdisc, where it took up a lot of real estate to have multiple discs. Um but you know you got to give them credit because it was cool to have 
you know, it was always a reason to like rewatch these movies. It's like, oh, look, look at all these cool new scenes. It was discovery. It it's was Colonel dis- North. Yeah, right now. You're, or... <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're finding things that you'd never seen before, and it made it worth worth doing. And yeah. absolutely. So I mean, you know, it was pretty pretty cool. And then you talk about okay, so but DVD changed the game because yeah, we bought Laserdisc because we were lunatics and uh, and, and and pissed away well, a ton we of money. It was still the best way. It was the only way to get that kind of digital sound. Yeah. And and the image was better than tape, and right. it didn't deteriorate every time you played it. But I'll tell you what, in the early days, so I started the bits in 97, and when I started the bits, there was really no other, I mean, there were a couple of magazines that were kind of talking about Laserdisc and a little bit of DVD. There's nobody online talking about it. And I just happened to work in the industry doing, you know, video producing and things like that. And so I would get access to all the trades and all those free magazines that you get. So I was following the technology. And I just, you know, I called up Fox one day and I said, so I hear you guys are working on DVD. Can you, what can you tell me about it? And what are you working on? And they would just tell me everything, mm-hmm. everything. <laughs> and, I, and I repeated that. I went to all the studios and they just, oh, yeah, yeah, because nobody was asking them about it. Mm-hmm. Nobody was even aware it was coming. And I, what I knew was that I'd work at a record store in, in the 80s when CDs came in and mm-hmm. I watched people freak out and go, oh, my God. I mean, I can get all that stuff that used to be this big, and now it's like this, and it's convenient. I can take it anywhere. I have to change the needle, and it doesn't skip. I rewind it, and I I can all these other extra features and digital sound. And I I knew it was going to be a huge hit, but I'm telling you, when I was talking to the studios in those early days, they were like, yeah, so we're kind of working on this thing called DVD, but I don't know. I just don't think it's going to be that big a deal. And so I started to share this information I was getting on my like personal Earthlink space. <laughs> and Earthlink called me up within a month and said, you're getting way too much traffic. You need to do this as a business. And the reason was that my traffic was was people like Warren Lieberfarb, the head of like Warner Home Video, right. and James Cameron. And people, they were reading because there was literally no place else they could go to right. read about DVD. And like these directors were all concerned with... Well, what's going to happen with my movie with DVD? Are are these studios like you know working on my movie for DVD? Maybe I should call the studios and find out. So I would have directors email me saying, "Listen, I, I just read on your website that my movie's coming out next year from Fox. <laughs> like I had no idea about that. Like what can you tell me about that?" And it was just a weird time. It, this the industry had no confidence in DVD at all. But like there were people like at Warner Brothers, Warren Lieberfarb, who you know was regarded as the godfather of DVD. He got it. He knew. I mean, there were people who knew, but you could tell the whole industry was just like, we don't know. We don't know what the response is going to be. We have no idea. That situation has not changed. No. <laughs> we're kind of back to that now. <laughs> yeah. And then in the early days of DVD, there was, of course, there was, of course, this competing format that was launched by some studios called DivX, right. which was meant to be a pay-per-view format. So you had to hook up your player to the Internet right. and you put a disc in. And in order to play it, you had to have an account and it would charge you every time you played it. Right. So right from the very beginning, they were trying to get you into that rental mode, mm-hmm. um, which and of course, DivX was defeated. And yeah, well, you were instrumental DivX in killing it. Then worked really hard. Well, the, the, the interesting thing is the DivX people called me up and said, would you like to come down and like take a look and we'll show you. Would you like I, to step outside? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I, and I went and I got the whole demonstration and talked to them. They were lovely people. And I and, and I proceeded on my website to, to explain DivX and give the world its first like really look at it. And then I proceeded to say, I think it's a terrible idea. Right. But they still, for years afterwards, said, you know, you were the only person who ever really gave us a fair shake at all. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the problem was is that it was that it, the studios were wanting to, like, control when you could watch stuff and access. Yeah. And now, we, you know, jumping ahead and we're getting ahead of ourselves again. But with physical media sort of going away, 
we're back to exactly what they wanted all along with with digital, where you where they just, can you, take it away. They can take it away, Even and they you want have you to it pay. in your yeah, you know, digital storage locker. Yeah, they can come and raid your locker. They're like the principal at the high school. They can open yeah. the locker at any yeah. time and take yeah. out the stuff. Yeah, so it's absolutely uh, true. Which is a horrible, you know, horrible situation. Which is why we're all still evangelists for physical media and believe in owning physical. Because nobody's coming to your house and taking your discs away. Right, and uh, you know, well, unless you have. Uh, uh, you know, Blu-rays, which what? they could. What are you talking about? Well, technically, the, the, the ability exists, although they've never used it. It's yeah, one not of those if you're hooked up they, to the, if you're not hooked up to the network, they can't. They no, they can because what there, there are codes that are distributed actually on the discs themselves yeah. that can invalidate players and if they choose to. So they could, if technically, if they wanted to, yeah. they could shut all your Blu-ray discs down if they wanted to, even without a network connection. Yeah. It's nobody. Not all people know that, but it's there. <laughs> one word: Plex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying anymore. Yep. <laughs> but but you know so getting back to DVDs so the you know, early on the movies came out a couple different versions of the movies and they started to do the director's editions but TV didn't really take off on on DVD until Fox put out twenty four right right before the second season started they put out the first season mm-hmm. and everybody said oh my god you mean I can watch an entire season of TV in one weekend and people did mm-hmm. and and th- and it not only did the sales of that season one set explode. But the ratings for that next season were huge because mm-hmm. so many people had just watched season one. Yeah, yeah. So then Paramount said, ah, ah, we should. Don't we have a TV show that right, people like to right. watch? It, something that's, yeah, some, <laughs> something space something or other. <laughs> and and so they put out, then they finally put out the original series. They started, you know, a season at a time. Mm-hmm. And they did a really a nice job remastering them and and remixing them. They did. Beautiful. Really worth And this is we're not talking about this is not the new visual effects. No. They remastered the image, they remixed the sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, uh, they and did released some new a special stereo features. mix for the episodes. Yes. Yeah. For the With first the time. orange the orange, orange covers, box, the right. orange and red covers. And was, yeah, they were the little capsules, the plastic now, capsules. Now right. So that was two episodes on a disc. It was right. it was two yes. episodes in order. Yeah. And and they were that was really nice and it took up a ton of space. Later on they reissued them as I have. You may remember this. I have a funny story about that. Um, well, moder- moderately funny. Um, my apartment was broken into, and my projector was stolen, and remember. a bunch of DVDs were stolen, mm-hmm. all except for my row of original series orange box uh. episodes. <laughs> they left those on the shelf. Yeah, those perhaps, 40, 40 discs, perhaps yeah. as yeah. some cruel joke. I don't know. I found it very interesting that they would that they would just leave that. So you know it wasn't Mojo. Well, you know, the, <laughs> well, Star. I mean, Star Trek. I think what's really important to remember about this, especially in this episode, is that Star Trek was always driving the Paramount Home Video Department. Yeah. Star Trek was yeah. always there as they went along, and whether it was the CBS Video Club, right. then it was Star Trek the Motion Picture. Then they started releasing, and it was only Star Trek. They weren't releasing a bunch of other TV shows. Right. It's, it it's, was only Star Trek. Yeah. And then the movies on Laserdisc were treated for whatever reason were treated very very well. Like you mm-hmm. pointed out, we got that Star Trek Six director's cut on Laserdisc. Right. You know, I, I hadn't thought about this in a long. Again, you just, I, you know, you, we we talk and it brings back memories. I actually did the liner notes for Columbia House for um, Battlestar Galactica, Buck Rogers in the Twenty Fifth Century, and um, and Babylon Five. Oh, and wow. I remember when I first went to meet with them, they told me the Star Trek stuff is huge. Yeah. It was like 
keeping the lights on. It was yeah. just, a, you know, mm-hmm. a huge, huge thing for them. And then they were the ones, and then they said, you know, we want to do these other shows, and how do you think they're going to do, and da-da-da. And I think I may have even been the one who said, you should do Buck Rogers, and all, you know. Mm-hmm. and, and uh, But I said, none of them is going to compare to Star Trek, but you, you should you should do it. But um, I remember those Columbia houses, and you would get them one, one a month. It began one evening 25 years ago, and it's been going at warp speed ever since, bringing us a new language. Scotty, beam us up fast. Opening up new worlds, Nothing introducing us to a new universe of friends. Long and prosper, Miranda. And a new galaxy of enemies. And now you can join in the worldwide Star Trek 25th anniversary celebration with the original uncut Star Trek episodes on video cassette. Yours for just $4.95 for your introductory two episodes. Here's the series that set the standard by which all science fiction is measured. Captivating television audiences, inspiring feature-length movies. Connie is my name. And even a next-generation TV series. And it can be yours now in this special collector's edition video series for just $4.95 for your first two-episode video cassette. Now you can enjoy the classic episodes, the classic lines. If I push these impulse engines too hard in the condition they're in, they'll blow apart. The classic characters again and again, anytime you like. Uncut, uninterrupted, all from the highest quality film masters. Fascinating. Act now. And to help you celebrate this landmark 25-year anniversary, we'll also beam you this special Star Trek 25th anniversary commemorative pin free. It's destined to become a collector's item. To get yours before they disappear, simply call this toll-free number now. Captain, I never will understand humans. Flight shields activated, Mr. Sulu. We're on collision course. Red alert. Join in the 25th anniversary festivities and celebrate with savings. Call now and get Star Trek The Collector's Edition exclusively from Columbia House Video for just $4.95 for your introductory two-episode video cassette and free pin. That would seem logical. To preview Star Trek The Collector's Edition risk-free, call now. Get your first double-episode video cassette for just $4.95. Call now. And... Um... And then, you know, and, and so I think I had the Columbia House, which is like somewhere between having bought the uh, the, the the ones from Paramount to then the right. Columbia House to then the Orange Case. And I think that the Orange Case is the only DVDs in the history of Star Trek that I don't still have. Like mm-hmm. I find, I got rid of those. It was like they took up too much space. I did too. But yeah. I've held on to like virtually every version of Star Trek that I've ever bought. You know, the Laserdisc we talked about and then... The, that the wonderful um, you know seasonal box sets and they reissued them with the new effects. Right. Um, and by the way, it was it, it, my recollection that I went back to like just l- confirm my memory l- the other night because there's a lot of Star Trek product oh that's been released over the years. But it was the next generation that was released on DVD first because I think those masters were ready. I, my uh, my notes were that the, the next generation came out in let's see here in 2002, and it mm-hmm. wasn't the original series didn't come out until 2004. The first release of, of of the original series on DVD. Yeah, they did them every couple of months as complete season sets. I remember yeah. the silver boxes with yes. the logo stamp. Yeah, with yeah. The, you open uh, them up foil like that. On they it. were yeah. cool. I mean, that they was cool. They, they they did do a good job with that packaging. It yeah. was it was and they all was, had like if you bought them at Best Buy, they came with an exclusive oh, bonus yeah, yeah. disc yeah, of like one bonus. featurette or whatever yeah. that yeah. was there. They had okay yeah. bonus features, nothing earth shattering, if I remember. Well, they never did. I mean, look when they started putting out the well, you got you can speak to this. I think what really changed. And it was a sea change was special features on DVDs yeah. that really started in earnest in ninety nine two thousand yeah. and it changed the whole game. Yeah, that Golden special- Eye, I think, and certain movies suddenly had 
al- the first aliens. A <clears> and then of had, the studios so. started paying. They thought, okay, well, it's going to drive this even more than it's already being driven. Uh, DVD became the most successful yeah. home video format, the most successful uh, electronic device. And by the consumer way, consumer device. Part of that was pent up demand, but. People forget that I, I think one of the big reasons for the success of DVD was was 9-11 because it was starting to take off. People were really starting to discover it, embrace it. But when 9-11 happened, there were a lot of people who had money to spend on tourism that suddenly were like, well, we're just going to stay home this year because we don't know what's going on. But hmm. they were investing that money in home theaters. Well, there were people They're who were scared to go TVs. out yeah. you know, to do stuff, like go to the movies yeah. and stuff. You know, And Rob's being modest, which may be the first time he's ever been accused of that. But um, <laughs> you know, Rob you know, talks about special features. He was a big part of that uh, era of special features because Rob worked with Michael Pellerin on the Lord of the Rings disc. Um, he, he, he worked on you know, a ton of really great special features packages, which eventually, and we'll talk about this, led to you working with Roger Lay on um, The Next Generation. You, uh, you worked on some Laserdisc stuff even too, didn't you, for Disney? You know, I never, I never did. Curdy Pellerin was a company, actually it was, a called, it was the company was called TV is OK, and a guy named Phil Savinick had it, and they were doing the Disney, Michael Pellerin was on there, doing all of those white Disney boxes, right. those yeah. classic, yeah. those beautiful. Right. They did like 20,000 Leagues, they did Tron, right. they did the Silly Symphonies. And and then they Disney was really the first company to embrace special features. Yeah, and the first the first special features I ever worked on besides Free Enterprise was Fantasia, mm. and that was the summer of two thousand. Yeah, and I was because working on the Fantasia anthology. It was Fantasia yeah. two thousand and Fantasia, the original Fantasia. Right, that was the first one I worked on. Which was loaded you, with extras. You did uh, the the motion picture director's cut was really features. the beginning of the kickoff of the Star Trek movies. Well, it it certainly was for Paramount in terms of having bonus material because yeah. Paramount had no bonus material on any releases nope. before right. that on DVD. Yep. And you really uh, um, proselytized or advocated for that big time, you and the, the other guys, uh, Mike and Dave, because – and there's some wonderful stuff. That Phase 2, it was the first time I ever saw that That's Phase correct. 2 footage, which was wonderful. And then, you know, some great interviews like Harold Livingston. I mean, yeah. it was really – which is subsequently was repurposed in other documentaries. Right. Um, but th- there's some really wonderful bonus material on that disc, and I understand there's probably even more that wasn't on that disc. There, There is. But, you know, it – it was really frustrating because we sort of tried to drag them kicking and screaming to do this because they, they – everyone, you know, of course, was unsure about yeah. what they want to do, especially Paramount who had a sort of a, a, a company-wide uh, edict that we're not going to release anything on DVD that we can't release on VHS, mm. which is ludicrous. Yeah. Uh, but that's just how they were thinking. and. They actually released the director's edition on VHS. Right. I have one. It's that was in two thousand. Uh, that, that was in subsequently yeah. when they actually released the the, the DVD at the same, same time. time. Wow. Same time. Wow. So they completely had no idea what the market was. Yeah. Completely, and it's it's so strange for something as as forward looking and uh, and visionary as Star Trek to be guided by this company that is so clinging to the past. Yeah. Right? Well, and part of that was is that some studios were better at embracing the internet. What they realized, the smart studios realized that if if you want to reach research your audience, man, that's where they were. They were yeah. on the internet. But some of these studios were still going to like the local shopping malls in right. various places and just polling like average shoppers. Right. Like, well, would you buy what this would you or write? this? Right. And oh. it, you know, it was crazy. I can speak to that when I was working on the Tron 20th anniversary DVD. 
they actually went, Disney had gone and pulled women with children five and under. And they had said, are you excited for the 20th anniversary of Tron? And the numbers, the numbers, what the hell is that? The numbers, so they're like, they were really worried that this big two disc set, and I was making this documentary. They said, just give me 15 minutes. I ended up making an 88 minute feature length documentary about Tron while working for Michael Peller, and it was sort of given to me. And it turned out it was the biggest catalog release of 2002 for them. And I think you can speak to this. The, the people that worked in home video. They were just functionaries. Yeah, it's they're, not they're like, marketing people. It's Brazil. Yeah, yeah they didn't yeah. Know. A lot of them came from the record industry, right. actually. Right. And, and so they didn't know about their niche, like The Godfather and the the kind of uh, audience it would have, or Star Trek. They didn't understand yeah. the well, voracious the fan base. The, the fact that that's not a 4K yet is insane. And, and, yeah. and the fact that they never released, just as a curiosity... The Godfather complete saga for television, right? You know, which is the linear version of Godfather one and two. Right. Not that that is the definitive version; it's not. But like, you have it. I mean, I remember Cinemax or HBO showed it a couple HBO years ago it, yeah. in yeah. high definition. Like, why wouldn't you release that? Fans, yeah. if you're a fan <laughs> of those films, you would absolutely buy yeah. that. There's no doubt. Well, and they, because the people, it's it's really interesting. I mean, you know, you know, you know, people like Annie Caprilian, who's still, who's sure. still, yeah. and she's and, great. And Paramount, by the way, Martin Blythe was a big force in terms of of get, of really embracing DVD because there were the people who'd been there a while, VHS days, all that kind of stuff. But there was a core of executives at every studio who really believed in DVD and was really plugged yeah. into the audience. Martin and knew. was our hero on that project. Martin Absolutely. was tremendous. Yeah. yeah, he was the first and person Annie. I talked to about that. Yep. Absolutely. Well, and I, you know, I was brought in later. I worked on the Star Trek V uh, uh, DVD. I was going to work on Star Trek IV, but that didn't work out. But then there was all these rules, and you found that with Star Trek The Motion Picture. They started vetting the special features. Yeah. We can't have so-and-so th- say this. We can't have so-and-so say that. We can't admit this. Yeah, so there was nothing can't. honest about it. It was right. totally glossed over, PR-friendly. Now, I have yeah. to say... When they started counting upwards and doing those double disc special editions, two, three, four, I think it went through insurrection. Um, it may have even gone through analysis. No, it went through insurrection. Yeah. And uh, those are pretty good sets. Yeah. I mean, they they're are. a little milk toast, mm-hmm. but there's a I lot mean, of good there's stuff. There's good on content there. on there, yep. a lot of deleted yeah. scenes. Um, but the reason, they were, the reason they were doing that stuff, though, is pretty much exclusive because they wanted a list of bullet points on the back of the Absolutely. packaging for marketing reasons, Absolutely. right? That was it. And, well, I, and they also realized, even at that point, people had double, triple, quadruple dipped. Yeah. They needed to give you a reason to buy this stuff again, which they seem to have forgotten about because there have been now, since then, so many reissues of the movies in different configurations. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I love these. Like, Not only uh, do they have nothing more, and they the have episodes like, less. Yeah, ca- yeah. You know, cap- the Captain's Collection, and blah, 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 where they're just constantly rebranding, yeah. repackaging the same stuff. And, and maybe you can talk to this. A lot of the reason that happens is because they don't want to press new discs. Yeah, you know, yeah, master they want new discs, right? They want to they want to use existing product because they've got existing inventory yeah. and they don't want to pay new authoring costs and all that stuff. But what they will do sometimes, the interesting thing, there'll be a little swag in the package, right? A little booklet which is easy to produce, mm-hmm. or they might do one new bonus disc. So right. they only have to author and replicate one new disc, and they just tuck it into the packaging and they do like a really elaborate, a really elaborate you know box or whatever. But it's infuriating because if you're a home video consumer and you've bought all those other versions. Or do you want to rebuy the same thing again? No, except you do want that one new featurette right. that's in there right. and that special bonus disc. And that's how they get you. And so then it's a Sophie's choice, and yeah. you've just got, ah, oh, am I going to keep doing this I'm gonna, again and again? Red alert. All hands to battle stations. Get ready to boldly go where Star Trek has never gone before. Fire. 
Paramount Pictures presents your favorite Star Trek movies on DVD in original widescreen format. Go to red alert. With high-resolution video and enhanced digital sound. We gotta get out of here! The Star Trek DVD experience is viewable in multiple languages. Changez le cours des choses, vous y. And comes with a unique feature, allowing you to access your favorite Star Trek scenes instantaneously. Fascinating. Now available on DVD, The Final Frontier, The Undiscovered Country, Generations, First Contact, Insurrection, and the rest of your favorite Star Trek movies are coming soon. Lock and load. DVD and Star Trek. Set a course for Earth. Maximum warp. The future is here. And that became a common refrain. And they're wondering why the industry imploded on itself. Yes. Well, that's yes. part of the reason. And this is a topic we should get to when we get to really talking about the, the remastered stuff. But I mm-hmm. want to talk about it because you really shined a light more than anyone else I can think of on how a retailer bonus content yeah. really sab- was self-sabotaging. Yeah. Because well, you see it sabotaging. with the, the release of the 2009 Star Trek and even before that where if you buy it at Walmart, you get this. And if you buy it at Best yeah. Buy, you get that. And you get it. It's like it got to the point where, you know, either you weren't buying it, you know, because you were so infuriated, you know, or you're waiting for the next version to come out where you figured all yes. this stuff would yes. be on it. Well, and that really started with... So 2009 came out on home right. video and it was great. It was a loaded special edition and it was everything was was in that box, but it was into darkness. Oh, where, right. into darkness. So they right. produced yeah. they produced the same amount of content, but they gave some to Apple, they gave some to Best Buy, they gave some to Target. Right. So if you wanted to get everything, you had to go out and buy, buy like five different copy. versions and that infuriated people. And I and I heard I can't tell you how many my email was just like terrible that that at that point. Mm-hmm. This was I think like a, I want to say it was September of like 2013. I think when that happened, mm. oh my God, I, I just got lit up by people. And I was furious because I'm a fan of this stuff. And I'm like, why do I have to go buy five versions to see all this great extra? And what a betrayal of your consumer base. Yeah. That had been buying this material since the very beginning. And you're going to fuck them by, by right. making it. And see, no one's, no one's going to go do that. No one's going to go spend like that. They didn't look at it like that. The studios were like, well, we've got to get shelf space for our product. And, and if we make these exclusive deals with retailers, they'll give us more shelf space for our right. product. See, I don't mind when they put the merchandise in. You want to put in right. an exclusive pair of Spock socks. Or, yeah. You know, you want to put in Kirk condoms or whatever. You know, it's fine. Do that. But don't mess with the actual disc because I don't care about the, the merchandise or what kind of fancy box it comes in. Mm-hmm. You know, I just but I want that disc, you know, to know I'm getting everything. Yeah. When I buy that that disc, whether it's on 4K or Blu-ray or you know, um, it's just it's so infuriating, and I think that alienated a lot of people. Oh. And then you just see the repackaging and the repackaging because there's so little new content. It really wasn't until you guys did the Next Generation remasters where there was a significant amount of money. Really, well, the it was biggest... the TOS that started with TOS where they put both versions. Right, they yeah, remastered sure. TOS, yeah. and, and they should but be was... commended for that. The HD because yeah. when they finally went to HD, right. The the Star Trek the actual they they have cut negative but all the visual effects were because they were optically printed in multiple levels they're very dirty they look very yeah. dirty compared to the beautiful live action stuff so there was the decision made let's redo the visual effects and offer high def versions and and to Paramount's credit 
they gave you both high both def versions. versions. And that they was did. the key to the success in my mind, that you could toggle mm-hmm. and you have both versions. Same reason, like whenever they come out with these director's cuts like Star Trek Two, I want both versions on my disc. Yeah. I don't want one or the other. I want every iteration. You know, it's like what they did so brilliantly, Charlie DeLazarica's Blade Runner, where it's literally every version. So what was great was that you could watch it with the original effects, you could watch it. But sometimes I like the novelty of the new effects or on Court Martial, which is not an episode I love. I'd rather watch it with the new effects. Yeah. In most cases, I'd rather watch it with the original effects. Yeah, but you forget... That was fraught, too, from the consumer standpoint, because that first Star Trek Season 1, the original series remastered, came out first on HD DVD. That's which correct. was mad. <laughs> right? Oh, which yeah. was, so there was, that was the, the, the HD format war. Everybody yeah. basically wanted to capitalize on high def, and so you had Toshiba in the camp with HD DVD because they wanted to extend all their patents. Ugh. Sony, having gotten screwed on DVD, didn't want to repeat that mistake, right. so they had their exclusive thing and to, so the way that happened it came out only on HD DVD and the reason that happened is because Toshiba paid a lot of money right. they, they covered yeah. all well they covered they covered all, all the, the offering mastering. costs yeah. all the mastering costs all the replicating costs and so then like the only way you could buy it was it you know if you we bought on HD DVD when it was a DVD combo which was also ridiculous because when you opened up the packaging, there was no label on the disc. Right. So trying to find the episodes, which oh, disc yeah, the episodes yeah, yeah, yeah. were on oh, was, was ridiculous. I totally remember that. It was it was terrible. And then, But the gimmick was is that if you bought a Toshiba Blu-ray player or an HD DVD player and that set, they would send you a, a phaser remote control for your that would work with your Toshiba player. <laughs> but it was, I mean, it went over like a like a wet slap. I mean, yeah. it was, I mean, their people were kind of excited about it, but everyone was like, why aren't you guys doing Blu-ray? Like, why not Blu-ray? Yeah. Because at that point, it was a foregone conclusion that Blu-ray was going to win the format. Well, and they had put it in the syndication package before that, so people had already were able to watch it on their local right. channel. Right. right. So it wasn't like, oh my god, I'm seeing it for the first time. Right. You know, I think they hadn't necessarily aired all of them. No. But most of them, you know, had been on TV already, so it wasn't like it was like this cool exclude. Like, oh my god. Well, yeah. th- that also speaks to something that Paramount's been doing, I'd say, for the last 15 years, where they went HD DVD. And not Blu-ray. The same way that when they made, they didn't go with Lego. They went with the Lego knockoff Mega Blocks, so, <laughs> yeah. so you can get the Mega Blocks. And like, why wouldn't they go with Lego? Like, if they're gonna do a license, you know, I remember going back and forth with John Van Sitters about doing a Star Trek archives book, mm-hmm. and he would always go, "No, no." And of course, we get the Star Wars archives, and yeah, it's amazing. And it's amazing. And wouldn't you love a Star Trek book like that? Yeah, from Tashin. Yeah. But Paramount... It also elevates the prestige of your franchise. Absolutely. There's certain right. things where it's not even about the money. It's the perceived it's value. It's the perceived value. Yeah. Like, Star Wars, by being Tashin, this is the same imprint that does Kubrick, that yes. does, you know, Truffaut, you know, does a, it elevates. Like, Star Wars, like, yeah. wow, Star Wars is a Tashin book? Like, if... Tashin did a Star Trek book, it'd be like, wow, as opposed to these I tried. You know, books yeah. that they do... You know, which are just sort of like lowest common denominator, yeah. right? And, you know, especially when they release the, the the art of the Kelvin verse, that should have been part of that Toshin Star Trek book that they're never. Yeah, do. well, I think Jeff Bond wrote that for Titan. He did, you know, and yeah. it's a lovely little book. I and mean, give, I'm not that interested for doing in that, that, but yeah, much, but uh, that surprises me but, that they but didn't it was, done that. Much. Here, what, Paramount went from being this innovative studio. You know, they they really were when, at the when forefront. Was that? No, but they they look. They let you guys do the when they were in the tank. Well. I mean, but yeah. but in terms of, <laughs> but in '82 with or '83 with Officer and Gentleman and, and yeah. Star Trek II, yeah. and then they sell through with Raiders when Raiders finally came out after that, and then the laser discs, the Star Trek films, the, that box set that we love from '91, yeah, uh, that came out, and 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 then. Then it becomes, oh, we're going to go with HD DVD. Yeah. You know, we're going to pick one or the other. The good news is that that was over by like 2000, 
uh, 13, I want to say. Yeah. That's when it was uh, was over. I mean, uh, there's a whole story. I, I have a whole story. It was a quick death, but not quick enough. And I had a hand in that death. I had a serious hand in that death. There was a, this is a little side story, but there was a, the, the year before at Christmas, there was an industry meeting. And it was like, you know, who, who's who of all the home video executives and stuff. And I was on stage with Pete Brackey from DVD Review and yeah. Guido Hankel from mm. uh, DVD File and DVD Review. And they asked us, what do you think of the format war? And I got up and said, if this format war continues for another six months, you can kiss high def discs goodbye. Because all of the goodwill that had been created with DVD had been so poisoned by the mm-hmm. format war mm-hmm. that I just said, this is, you know, you are, you are absolutely shooting this horse well, in the Well, it was Betamax versus VHS all over again, yeah. but with a much bigger, you know, pie that was, there was people that yeah. understood what home video was. Yeah. So, and they were squandering, like, the, right. the huge potential. But even now, I'm amazed how much, you know, particularly with television, the studios uh, still put on DVD and not on Blu-ray. Now, why in the world would I buy TV on DVD when I can stream it in high def? Right. It's like, it's ridiculous. And I love buying. But I they love do that on purpose. Media. Well, and the problem is, is that they would sometimes they would test the waters and release. Here's the first season on on Blu-ray. Right. And everybody go, oh wow, great, and they would buy it. But then season two, Blu-ray, season three, DVD only. Yeah, yeah. It's like, come on, yeah. nobody season wants three, to do that. Season well, three on demand only. Right. Like, right. <laughs> they don't want to go back. I mean, they already have the DVD masters because when TV became big on DVD, they they made they put out everything. Yeah. I mean, anything they could get their hands everything. on. Yeah. And then to remaster on Blu-ray to high def, that's a lot of money. Yeah. So, and I'm talking about new shows, not just old shows. But that's what I mean. I mean, they would still, but yes, new shows. They they because they figure they figure they are streaming. So why do them? But it's like like if you're going to buy for archival purposes to have in your collection, you know, why are you going to buy an inferior format? Right. (laughs) You know. No, it it makes it's so mad. Yeah. But the irony is that it's the profits from home video that for for years funded all those great restorations and film preservation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's where that money came from. It's I mean, and they and they put they invested a lot of money into fixing their catalog and preserving it and saving. it. And that's something they're really worried about now, because none of the studios are these these huge, huge mega corporations that don't even know anything about movies that don't care you know it's just widgets and now without home video you know there's no incentive to to preserve these movies yeah you know but but not only that you talk to some of these studio executives they don't even know what's in their catalog right they haven't even seen these films they they don't even know what's in the vault i mean they've and they've got all this great material in the vault that they could tap into i don't even like movies and then people say netflix (laughs) you know netflix and stuff is going to be the savior but it's not because they have no interest in old catalog titles Mm -hmm. i mean they're moving to a completely original i mean the amount of people that watch that uh sandra bullock blind bird they want to make original or choir they don't care about catalog titles no no well, and look, you know, I was looking. Even our movie, Free Enterprise, is not available on Blu-ray and and, and high def, just to transfer the negative, bare bones negative so cost transfer. Prohibitive. You're looking at eighty-eight. If I got it cheap, it's eighty-eight grand. It's a hundred thousand dollar proposition for anybody who's going to take a negative and do all the cleaning and all the things that it requires to do because it's labor intensive. Yeah. And and when you have we were talking about War of the Worlds when worlds collide and conquest of space these great George Powell Paramount titles we were lucky to get a 4K of, of War of the Worlds and yeah. that's that movie's film history it's right. right there and it's but, but the irony is is if you're going to preserve these things you've got to scan them in higher resolution at some point so when you do that why wouldn't you make a DVD or Blu-ray available right like why not right. but you know for, let's for let, because we're 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 running short <laughs> on time but I think that there is something really important to talk about particularly for the audience that's listening to the show which is. You know, I want you to be, and start. You know, you were a big champion. He worked on it. Um, 
the next generation restorations and people say why can't they do that with deep space nine why can't they do that for voyager now i i think it's important for you guys to articulate why that is easier said than done this is star trek deep space nine on starfleet's front line mr war all weapons fire at will the Federation have been forced to abandon the station. Notify all remaining Starfleet personnel. We're evacuating the station. Now it's back in enemy hands. I've been waiting for this moment for five years. We have to take down that minefield and reopen the wormhole. War is much more fun when you're winning. Star Trek Deep Space Nine Season 6. The fight for the final frontier has begun. This is war. We can't keep taking these kinds of losses, sir. Not if we expect to win this. Captain Benjamin Sisko and his crew are leading the battle against an unholy alliance. We are winning the war. The Dominion and the Cardassians. Meanwhile, for those that remain on board Deep Space Nine, life is very different. I used to have a saying in the Resistance, if you're not fighting them, you're helping them. What am I doing? I even write reports for the murderers who run this station. The ultimate confrontation between Starfleet... You can still stay one step ahead. ...and the naked aggression of the Dominion. The Federation is losing this war. Are you questioning my loyalties, Major? The survival of the entire Alpha Quadrant is at stake. We may never see each other again. What are your orders, Captain? Set a course for the Cardassian border. Star Trek Deep Space Nine Season 6. We will keep on fighting until we can't fight anymore. This is Star Trek as you've never seen it before. On video from Paramount. Well, I I can tell you from because I met with CBS Digital about that about the idea of doing that because there were there were two concerns one which one of which was that the film for those series wasn't as well archived and well organized as it was for the next generation so it was going to be a much bigger challenge to find all the pieces they needed to do that. But the other thing was obviously those the visual effects, mm-hmm. which a lot most of which weren't done on film. There was a period there where everything became digital and light wave and it was only done in standard definition. And so I actually like I at the time I as I opposed known, to you just just again uh, to right. backtrack to, to to next generation, which was largely for the bulk of its run all miniatures, so it was stuff that could be recomposited. Right. Well, plus, uh, all the elements were on film. All yeah, the elements, the elements were, were on film. Which could well, be scanned we and should, recomposited. We should talk just really quickly and explain that when The Next Generation was made, to keep costs down, they did something that was unprecedented. They shot the episodes on 35mm film, mm-hmm. but they finished them on NTSC videotape. Right. They even combined all of... They would daisy-chain 10 VTRs together to combine all of the elements for one effect shot onto one tape so they didn't degrade it. But it wasn't like the original series that existed as negative. So they could scan negative at 2K, and right. they had that negative. Right. So it took four years to do the next generation in HD. They had to go back and basically take the the each episode of that show through post production again. They yeah. had to go and they had to dig out the original negative yeah, they had to and find all it. the pieces. It was yeah. it was thousands of boxes. It took four years and it took a veritable small platoon of people to do it. And it cost almost fifteen million dollars. Yeah. And when they put it out on disc well, people here's the- it was when streaming, the rise of streaming happened and people didn't want physical media I, anymore. I don't, I don't think it was necessarily the rise of streaming as much as I think what it was is this was a time when the studios were double dipping on their TV product. Mm-hmm. So they they were they would release season one on DVD. Then they would release season one on Blu-ray. 
And then, like, they would keep making you go and buy it, but it would be every time you bought a season of, of, of television, it would be like 80 bucks, right? But so then when they were done, they would release the complete series box at, like, half the price. So people began to realize, right. if we They're just wait... They're going to do this again. Yeah, yeah. We, we just wait, we can get the whole thing in one smash, mm-hmm. a smaller package, and it'll cost me a lot less money. And, oh, by the way, all those bonus discs that they've been giving away to Best Buy, a lot of, a lot of that content will get folded in, because a lot of times when they released the complete series set... There would be an additional bonus disc yeah. that you couldn't get then if, if you had already, the individual sets. right. So there was no reason to be loyal, and so each of those, as the next generation was being released, you you also have to remember Enterprise was being released on Blu-ray, right? And at the same time, they just finished Star Trek: The Original Series, and it was a lot of product was coming but out. But I think they never truly made people understand the restoration of Star Trek: The Next Generation is, to my mind, still in the history of the television medium the most significant restoration of any television show ever yeah. because of the fact that they had to rebuild the show and repost it. And it's astonishing that it right. happened. But because Deep Space Nine and Voyager... It looks gorgeous. It, yeah, they never had the ratings. They never had... I, I, they'll never spend that four years. No. And they'll never get the 30 people that they require to do that and spend... They have to spend between 15 and $20 million per series. Yeah, and the time, the time to have done Deep Space Nine and Voyager and, for example, all the movies, the motion right. picture, was when that team was together, when the they had the resources together, there. there. And, and I went in and I said, listen, you should, you should do this and now's the time because there'll never be a better time. And at the time, I had, you know, Adam Mojo Leibowitz, who had worked mm-hmm. on the show, he had shown me that he had all the original Lightweight files still. Yeah. And so he, he, I brought him in. He did a demo. He did a little HD demonstration. Well, the of, Sacrifice of Angels. Sacrifice of Angels and proved to them, okay, well, we could do it in theory. But in the end, it came down. Ken Ross basically just said, look, we, it, was, it was about the, the, the declining sales of each of those right. seasons as they came out. Just didn't justify it. And it was it. a precipitous decline. Yeah. You, you've quoted a number very often, though, like some of those final seasons. 5,000 worldwide Worldwide. Copies. That's not enough That's to... unbelievable. And Deep Space Nine Voyager are going to do half of what next year Right, right. Did. But right. then again, syndication, those are now going to be evergreen shows and that streaming. they can play forever. Yeah, like, I'll give you an example. i got to tell you. I mean, I, I'll admit this. You know, I realized when we were making Free Enterprise 20 years ago, you know, we were so immersed in them. We... I missed a bunch of episodes in the sixth and seventh season of Deep Space Nine. It's only since we started doing this podcast that I went back to watch them. I've been watching Deep Space Nine. It's like it's like having new episodes. That show is not only, as we well know, phenomenal, but it is really hard to watch on Netflix. And I have the DVDs, which are just as bad, um, because because it's in standard def. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and it's like even if they do what Farscape did, which was you know, look, this is a lame solution, but they upresed. You know, so they went back and I think they remastered the actual um, uh, stuff that was shot on stage and the effects were just up right. And they, they changed know, the color curve so yeah. it doesn't look as great. Yeah, right. you know, right. so it doesn't look – it's not what Next Generation is. It's never going to look that. You can't up and make it. But at least anything they can do to improve the quality um, because it's, it's, it's unbelievable that one of the great franchises of our time – you know, is condemned. But it's going to come a point as TV gets bigger, and now they're talking about 8K, yes. that Star Trek is going to be trapped in this purgatory, in purgatory shadow of of, of standard death. The irony in terms of Star Trek is, is that the only other, the first thing after they finished the original series remastered that they released on Blu-ray was Enterprise because it had been at least finished in HD. Even though it was low-res effects, it was at least finished in HD so they could put it out on Blu-ray. 
Yeah, I mean, the effects are 720, right? but they were still HD. Yeah. And the special features are great. I mean, you uh, moderated that wonderful uh, Q&A with the cast. And, yeah. I mean, that, that to me is the last great Star Trek product, uh, or that Next Generation and Enterprise. Now, that, that stuff's been reissued. I can't – you probably have lost count of how oh, many times they've yeah. repackaged it, repromoted it. Um, you know, for the 50th anniversary, you know, I, I took part in a bunch of interviews – um, the, the bonus features are f- sensational that Roger did, but all it is is repackaging the uh, original series episodes and the movies again. Yeah. I mean, and by the way, there's another one on Amazon that comes out in a couple months. It's a collection of the original movies, right? And I had a million people. So they spot the listing on on Amazon right. and email me. Is that going to be 4K? Is yeah. that going to be 4K? No, nope. just a re- just a repackage, which is ironic because. Start, because Paramount has a beautiful 4K master with with high dynamic range graded of Star uh, Trek 2. Yeah. yeah, which I, had, I bought on iTunes. Right. Which is, you can get it on iTunes. Oh, that, that just and, crushes and, me. And, and also, that. that's the version we screen, screened the DCP at the American Cinematheque, which looked amazing. Yeah. And uh, that's heartbreaking, and you can't buy that on. 4K you can't buy it on disc, which is a bit crazy. I'm sure, like, they're waiting to tie it into something, but like what? What yeah. are they going to tie it into? Well, it ain't going to be Star Trek. I mean, this four, whole, no. you know idea of tying into uh, anniversaries. Like anyone cares. You want what you want. Yeah. It well, doesn't well, matter. If you it's care an about anniversary. an anniversary when it's like when it's like Gladiator. I mean, not Gladiator. Like uh, Gone with the Wind. That mm-hmm. then maybe right. or, or Lawrence or of Casablanca Arabia. or right. Star Trek the Motion Picture right. for you. Right, but like. Star Trek Two, the second film, you know, 1982, so we're talking about, you know, it's like these whole things, it's like we even talked about, it. it's like the 10th anniversary of Star Trek 2009, yeah. it's the 15th anniversary of, you know, it's the, the 30th anniversary of Star Trek, none of this stuff really matters. No. 50th matters, 25th matters, you know, the fact that Star Trek the motion picture is such an important film in film history and Star Trek history, the 40th matters, yeah. but these, you know, uh, ridiculous anniversary, you know, because you see it with everything. I mean, Deadpool made fun of it. What they say, the second anniversary edition. Right. That was right. that I liked. Right. I appreciated. Yeah. That. I mean, the th- the shame for me was, I mean, uh, so you know, in 2013, I was talking with him about the Paramount about the 50th anniversary of Star Trek and what they should do. Mm-hmm. And I'm look, I'm I'm glad they at least did something in terms of home video releases. They put out the animated series, and yeah. they I put love out, the box set, the 50th box set, that right? Comes with the but, original which series is 90 percent like content you've already got, it with is. the exception of the brand new Star Trek remaster, which was phenomenal. That new Star Trek Blu-ray, Star Trek Two Blu-ray. Was phenomenal, and then they put out you know the animated series, and it's like, yeah. why not all and, the and other the movies? Bo- and the bonus features are great. Yeah, the bonus features. Because are great. the other thing we haven't mentioned is, is if you watch the other Star Trek films on Blu-ray, they've all they're all riddled with what's called digital video noise reduction. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, because they wanted all those movies had inconsistent levels of grain and things, and they wanted to make them all look consistent, so they just scrubbed them all, so everybody yeah. looks like they're plastic because figures. Because people forget, I mean, before Star Trek Four, Paramount, other than Star Trek One, you know, Star Trek Two and Three were like produced. You know, for uh, for pennies. You know, yeah. I mean, they, they, you know, unlike these movies now, which is why there isn't going to be a Star Trek Four. They were making these things on the cheap. So, I mean, they're not great looking movies. They'll never be great looking movies. But you know, to try and turn them to something they're not yeah. is ridiculous. I mean, well, it's, it's, and the problem is, is that the industry now is so focused on they want to spend a billion dollars to make two billion. Right. They don't. They're not interested in spending fifty million to make to make a hundred million. And I don't think it helped either. I mean, I I'm amazed. Amazing. The Roddenberry Vault was again yeah. an amazing, amazing achievement. The fact that they found this uh, old footage and were able to release it, and then people were upset because it's like twenty minutes. Well, what you know, what did you expect? I mean, did yeah. you find the Lost Ark, you know, it's like it was incredible, you know. I guess, but the fact that it was then repackaged with a bunch of episodes people had seen and have been released ad nauseum. But yeah. the Roddenberry Vault is an amazing uh, thing because it's it's and, not only is it incredible, uh, 
it, it's this one of a kind, like you said, it's like the Ark of the Covenant, but again, it didn't sell. <laughs> Nobody bought it because they were repackaging with stuff people already had. And by the and, way, it was a battle for them even to decide to release that. I mean, I talking to Roger Lay, he would say, like, man, it was close. We almost didn't get to release it. Well, I remember, it because- you know, looking at that stuff, Trevor Roth, they hired me to go through. And I, my recommendation was I looked at this stuff a decade ago. I said, look, you guys, you need to spend the money. And at the time, I got – it wasn't good for me. Right. Because I'm right. like, you, 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 this isn't cheap. What you have to do, you have to do it right. And they didn't want to hear that. And they CBS came in and bought bought that from them and put it all out. Thank God it got out there. But, again, there's who's going to buy it? Yeah. There's no audience. And they what they should have done is they should have manufactured that for streaming and put it out and, and touted it and put it on the streaming services. And That's that what people. would have gotten uh, uh, CBS All Access. Oh, sure. Are you absolutely. kidding? That would have been Everybody. great stuff to yeah, do. Absolutely right. And there's a lot more of it. Yeah. And you don't have to pay $10 million an episode for it. Yeah. And the shame of it is, is like we, we've all now gone through an era where you, you could get almost nothing. If you wanted to watch your favorite films, you had to hope they came on TV mm-hmm. or hope they came back to the local theater. Within about 10, 15 years, all of a sudden we were in a, in a world where you could any, – almost anything you wanted was like on Amazon, a click a click yeah. in two days away on mm-hmm. Amazon, and it yeah. would be in your box on a beautiful disc. And now we're back to this streaming world where there's there's lots of new content, and some of it's pretty good. But all of that old classic content is just losing its value because nobody titles. wants to see it. Yeah. You know, uh, another thing, the, the, the one benefit of the DV- – not one benefit, but one of the great benefits of the DVD market was how many of these old obscure cult titles were restored mm-hmm. and put out because they made everybody money, 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 money. Yeah. And, and now that's sort of gone away. Our culture shifted where, you know, our new generation coming up, they're not going to want to watch 30 or 40 or 50-year-old movies. They don't care. Well, and the, the problem is, is that – I don't know that it's necessarily. They think maybe they don't want to watch it, or 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 maybe they maybe they maybe they don't realize it. But the bottom line is they've got no access to it. We we discovered this stuff organically, and now right. we live in a world where there's so we much content. We sought it out. Yeah. Yeah, there, well, and, and it was all that there was. So there was there were limited choices and stuff. But now it's like there's so much content. How do you even sort through it to find what's good? I mean, and you what's can't not. keep up with the new stuff. But so why would you delve back into fifty year old material? Right. Right. Unless That's, there's some interest. Yeah, I, it's it's a really challenging situation, you know. And and so my question for you, you know, all of you is like, what would you recommend? You know, now as we, you know, the future of Star Trek on a home video, what's to be done? You know, what 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 hasn't been done? What should they be doing? You know, what what's sort of your prescription for uh, CBS slash Paramount? Because you know, technically now it's two different things. Yeah. Paramount is, is controls the movie, CBS controls the TV series, it may in fact become one in a couple of, by the time this airs, they, they could be an acquisition. But um, but but what's your recipe or your prescription for, for these guys in terms of getting track back on track? Track well, back on track? Well, I would say in, in terms of what already exists, they really need to go back and do proper remasters of all of the feature films and give them proper Blu-ray releases and, and 4K. Yeah. Because why not? Like, I mean... Then those films are evergreen for streaming and everything else down in the future. And, and you could start – that would be a great place to start because it would get fans excited. It would get, you know, home and theater fans. And yeah. they, but even if they don't at first, yeah, they need to archive them at like 8K yes. so that it's future-proof. Do something that they've never done before yeah. and Think future-proof ahead. something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they need to be more like what Disney does because yeah, Disney exactly. is very, very aggressive about it. And pre- so is Warner's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Preserving everything – and Fox, too, for that matter. Yeah. They're like preserving everything they have, even if nobody's ever going to see it. They make sure it's protected and preserved. Yep. So, 
The possibilities are open. What they also need to start thinking about is, look, with Disney's new streaming service, having these 4K, the most beautiful transfers that you can get, they're going to be available forever, assuming we don't destroy ourselves. And people will be watching these movies for the next 50 years on these streaming platforms. And they're going to want them to watch on their 4K TVs. I mean, the or human... 8K TVs. And they, but well, the human... We, is all we, we can't even see 8K, though. Yeah, I no. mean, there's... We, there's we, no we, reason for 8K except the television manufacturers want to sell 8K TVs. That's it. That's there's, it. We there's can no basically see 4K and a little beyond. That's it. There's no... Re- I mean, I look at 8K, or it's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, it's good for, like, satellite photography of distant worlds, right. but... Right. If, gonna... Yeah. If you're if you work for the NSA or the CIA and you want to like look at good imagery that like that, then you need 8K. But nobody else really. So wants what 8K. should what should what should they be putting out? I mean, what where where would you go with start? What do you advise? I mean, you're a conciliary, you know. Yeah. You, you have the site where you know you 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 pontificate about this stuff. You you have a lot of insight based on your knowledge of what works and whatnot. I'm wondering how did Warner Brothers do with the Superman reissue? Do we know on 4K? Oh, I, I think they did very well. The problem is is that 4K is a niche of a niche of a niche, right? So there's DVD still the bigger seller. And then Blu-ray is about half of that, and then and then 4K is about is about again. is about five or ten percent. We're back to Laserdisc yeah, times, yeah. right? Now, now that audience is probably much bigger on streaming going forward. But at least, like you said, if you do the 8K scans, you've got that stuff available, and you can do whatever going forward. But I mean, I think the the larger problem with Star Trek, I mean, the, the films need to be treated better. There's no doubt about that. But I think the larger problem is because the two companies have been separated, and there's been different mindsets, TV versus yeah. versus film. What what Star Trek really needs is is they need someone like a Kevin Feige who sure. can who can look at this franchise and go you know everybody wants a, a cinematic universe now Marvel and DC and whatever they all want a cinematic universe the great entertainment cinematic universe that exists you in this country is Star universe. Trek it's yeah. just never been thought of it that way and you have to start thinking of it that nobody, way nobody thinks it. in the long term about Star Trek. You know, it's why you see things like even going back to like you know, Star Trek Six. It's like, oh, the anniversary, twenty fifth anniversary is coming up. Yeah. We better get a movie into production uh, this week. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's and, always last minute. You know, it's, it's all, always yeah. last minute. Yeah. There's no. It's so funny. It's so ironic. For a show about the future, they never think about the future. It's like what happened with you in Star Trek: The Director's Edition. Yeah. Well, you know, for X amount of money, we can you know do a high def master. Well, no, let's just do it in standard def. Yeah. You know, yeah. because yeah. That we just need it for DVD. Yeah. I, it's like there's no thought. Um, because it's all about a balance sheet, and they want to keep the numbers yeah. down and get the return on their investment as high as possible without thinking about all the money they're losing in the long term yeah. by not being forward thinking. And and the other aspect of that is is that look at the times we live in. Like we need that positive vision of the future Absolutely. now more than ever, the more than we ever have before. I mean, and I think it would resonate if you did it right. I think it would resonate with people, but. But right now, it feels like we're very, very far away from the positive Star Trek future. And, and it's just, it's, it's so sad to see, you know, to tr- watch Deep Space Nine where the drama and, and the acting, everything is a, such a high caliber. Yeah. And it just looks like mud. Yeah. You know, it's if just. If those shows came out today, I mean, they would people would be watching because of the serialized storytelling and it's, high concept, you know, science fiction. and. I mean, NTSC video is six times lesser quality than HD yeah. is. Well, and and not only that, the joke is that it's called NTSC. It's never twice the same color because right. every television set is adjusted differently. Right. So it always looks terrible no matter where you are. Look, and we're, we're watching, you know, on, 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 on sets that are only widescreen, but, you know, four, five, six times. This, and we all grew up with 19-inch TVs, right? 21-inch TVs. Yeah. Well, and now, the, now people are watching on 4-inch and 5-inch TVs, right? Right. So you're either watching on this 
or you're you know you're watching on uh, on this. I know, mean, to me, I, sixty five inches now is too small. Yeah, I want a bigger screen. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, you know, or you want a projector. Right, right. That's that's what, a, which is what I have. I have mm-hmm. a projector with a 110 inch screen. But the irony, you can do that. It's not that expensive to do that. You yeah, can, it's it's cheaper, more you even you even space. 4K these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's now beautiful. you can unroll screens according to the new CES show that's going on. <laughs> Good for them. But I mean, AK, unroll. the whole idea of AK is ridiculous. There's no market for AK. So look, before we wrap up, I'll ask you: What's the dream thing, Star Trek content that you want to see come out on home video, Rob? I want to see the director's cut of Star Trek: The Motion Picture in 4K. Director's edition. Re- redone, yeah. Yes. The director's edition. Well, Darren, I assume I, that's your answer. That's 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 my answer too. Yeah, I would say that's my <laughs> answer, and I would say my other answer is, I want to see the great Star Trek film and series that excites me again, like that makes me go, oh God, I'm so glad to have Star Trek again because I just haven't seen it in a while. Like I said, that's a whole other conversation because yeah. we're talking about content that's already been created. Yeah, you know. Going forward, that's a whole nother show. Yeah. How how do we make Star Trek germane for the next fifty years? That's a show we should do uh, about you know how do we you know how how does Star Trek boldly go for the next fifty years? You know, right now it's going fairly timidly. So we want to see how you know. So that's a whole nother conversation. You know, our prognosis for for Star Trek going forward. You know, look, obviously I'd love to see the motion picture come out in four K, uh, uh, director's edition, both versions, the theatrical cut and the director's uh, edition. Um, and 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 uh, yes, I will buy the original series again in four K. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I absolutely will too, and I will buy every movie, even the bad ones. Right, and even, I, even generations. Well, and, oh my you know, one of the things I actually pitched for the 50th anniversary was the idea of why don't you go back and you know because Star Trek Five for whatever, whatever oh, you think that of was going to be my got answer. budget rate yeah. visual effects why not do a remastered for Star Trek Five uh, I would love to see that for the 30th anniversary yeah. obviously it's not going to happen if you could just replace Brand Farron's effects you know it may not make it a much better movie but it's certainly a reason to buy it and I know that they've always shied away from doing much with that because it's never sold that well it's yeah. the lowest selling of all those but sometimes you movies. have to have, have an insight in what, what, what can make something sell like when I, I dealt with Warner Brothers when they were doing that Blade Runner box set and they were being brave in doing it, but they didn't they had no idea that that was no, going to sell. Of course not. And they, but they asked me, uh, you know, because I went behind with Charlie and looked at what they were doing, and, and they showed me the packaging and said, what do you think? I said, you're going to sell a million of these. You're going to sell so many of these. And they looked at me like, really? And they did. You have to have an instinct for what people want. How about that Blade Runner briefcase thing? Oh, my yeah. God. That's, but, what it, that's what it was. They, like, they didn't know that that was going to be the thing. Yeah. Charlie DeLazarica, you know, who did that set, thought so outside the box. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not just all three versions of the movie. It's not just that wonderful Dangerous Days documentary. But there's also, you know, his unique novel approach to deleted and alternate takes. Oh, how he created that faux version of the movie with all, you know, what a, a clever way to, to, to do that. Yeah. It's so rich. There's so much in that set to explore. And it, you feel like you truly are getting the archival. And you knew that it's not like in a year or in six months or at the Christmas, suddenly they were going to come out with a new version that was going to have all right. this other stuff. Right. It was like they weren't holding anything back. And it, was, it was an experience that you can immerse yourself in, right? And that's what I think people want from home video content. They want that, that rich experience that yeah. they, can, they can immerse themselves in. Well, look, we'll have to revisit this place again and see what uh, uh, you know, Bill. It was, it was. Look, it was great having you. I mean, I'm sure we could talk. There's a subject near and dear to our heart. What more than Star Trek and home video? Two tastes that taste great together. So, um, you know, thank you, Bill. if you want to hear, you know, Bill, again, we can't say enough good things about the digitalbits.com. We should go and support all the great work that uh, Bill's doing. You know, he's fought the good fight on so many occasions against 
uh, you know, horrible things. And, you know, I, I got to talk to him because, you know, I love the Apple um, ecosystem and I love my Apple 4K TV box. But, you know, when they first announced that when you bought it, they would upgrade all your movies that are available in 4K to 4K. They did. And then suddenly they downgraded a bunch because it became only the stuff that you bought on Apple TV. So like anything that was transferred for something else went back. So like I had it in 4K for a while and then went back. But then, you know, I have stuff like the James Bond movies in 4K and Star Trek 2 in 4K. So it's fantastic and I love it. But that's a whole other conversation. Anyway, (laughs) um, Rob Burnett, thank you. Darren Dockerman, thank you. Bill Hunter, very special thank you. Thank you. Um, We want to remind you to rate us five stars at Apple Podcasts. If you have comments, questions, or ideas for future episodes, you can reach us on Twitter at Inglorious Trek, Instagram at Inglorious Trek experts or on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Inglorious Trek. And uh, you can also order fantastic Inglorious Trek experts uh, logo wear at Inglorious Trek or Inglorious Trek experts.com, which is the official website for the show. And um, we, you know, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And um, uh, enjoy. I hope if you're a, a fan of Star Trek Discovery, you'll check out our sister podcast, uh, Disco Nights. And uh, on behalf of all of us, uh, keep on trekking, ingloriously, of course. Engage. This podcast is a production of the Electric Surge Network.